Warning, this podcast must be listened to while drinking coffee or beer. Do not drive and drink coffee or beer. Do not smoke and drink coffee or beer. And do not have sex while driving and smoking and drinking coffee or beer. You're listening to the Coffee or Beer Podcast, brought to you on behalf of Hope. everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Coffee or Beer on Hold Tight TV, the only show that keeps asking people in the music industry, how's it going and what's going on with the music industry and stuff. Today, oh, I've got an exciting guest on the show today. I'm very, very lucky to have um, my guest on. Please say a big hello to Sophie Kay. Hello, Sophie. Hello. How's it going, Darren? It is going great. It's like being in an oven today, hottest day of the year so far. I'm melting. How are you doing? I'm doing great. 38 degrees, sitting here in my flat, my Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Loving it. It's like being on holiday, isn't it? It's the hottest day of the year, so we must drink some beer. So I'm on the, I'm on the Under Some Other Sky Indian Pale Ale by Lost and Grounded. That's my drink of choice. And what's your drink of choice today on coffee or beer? Mine is... Tesco green tea. <laughs> Already breaking the rules. Only the finest. Only the finest. Okie dokie. Well, we're going to cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers to that. Kink. A bit hot mine yet. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> ah, excellent stuff. Yes, thanks for being on. Um, great to have you here. Um, would you just let anyone, everyone who's watching know, folks, those of you who don't know exactly what you do, Bit of everything, really. I'm a jack of all trades, I'd say. Um, so I am a radio presenter, a TV presenter, a videographer as well. Social, I work in social media on the side as well. Um, but mainly, most people will know me as the host of Scuzz TV and a presenter from either Kerrang! or cover shows on Absolute Radio or Radio 1. Ah, amazing. Love it. You do the Kerrang! breakfast show. Do indeed. Waking people up in the morning. Yeah. Well, how, how easy is it to get up that early? What time do you have to get up to start that show? So the show starts at 6.30. So now we're in lockdown. Like literally, my recording equipment is here. My bed is there. And so it's just one swift move about five minutes before. Brilliant. Just roll out of bed and straight on, straight on the air. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And you also, uh, you also do some pieces on uh, Absolute Radio 1. You cover the indie show on Radio 1 sometimes. Yep. <sighs> yep. So that's really good fun. I mean, the, the list here, that's a big, impressive list. So you must be extremely busy. Yeah, very busy. It's exciting to be doing so much in the world of rock because obviously it is a hard industry mm. to crack. Yeah. But um, yeah, when you do manage to get there, it is, it's very sweet. And the video, I'm very interested about the video. I love video and stuff like that. So do you, what do you film exactly? So when... Like my history is I was doing presenting, but my dad wouldn't let me do. He was like, oh, don't do what if you're going to do an arty farty course, as he called it. <laughs> he was like, make sure you learn a skill at the same time. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that's when I learned videography. Um, so I started off working in telly. And whilst working in telly, I was filming interviews for YouTube for like all that kind of stuff and doing it myself, you know, setting up the camera, running around the other side. But then I guess most recently what I've probably filmed is advertising campaigns with brands like Primark and UGG. You've shot advertising campaigns for Primark and UGG? Yeah, for like online campaigns and stuff. That's fucking awesome, that is. <laughs> I love me an advertiser. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Those, those brands are massive. Like, congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks. What did you do? Just like sort of sending a showreel and just be like, hey, I love your shoes. Well, this is a whole side project, but um, I set up a company, which was the first advertising agency to specialize in live video and live video streaming for social media. Wow. Um, and so we got a lot of clients because me and my partner who I was working with, um, my business partner, we... Um, we're both from telly, so we were able to do that kind of level of production for companies mm. that used 
social media, but then also used the things that, you're, that you just know when you've worked in telly, things that you learn over time, which is actually something I feel quite passionate about within rock with everyone doing live streams. I normally watch them and I'm like, oh, come on. Like what? Do it right. What, what, are, some of their, <laughs> what are some of their biggest um, mistakes they're making? Okay, so when I used to walk into boardrooms full of... so Oh, Red Bull was probably the last campaign I worked on. I forgot about that one. Um, the biggest sporting event globally. And I'd walk into the room and I was like, if it can be pre-recorded, then it shouldn't be live. If it can be pre-recorded, it shouldn't be live. Mm. If, it can be, if it can be recorded and set live, then there is zero point in doing live. Because it's the same in radio. Like, it's all about engagement. It's all about interacting. It's all about... Um, it's all about people being able to say, ask a question mm-hmm. and you're like, it's the theory of social is supposed to be engagement. Yeah. Like when you watch the X Factor, you vote. That's what it's it. got to be some power in the hands of the audience. And I yep. think a lot of music has a tendency to get freaked out by budget. So they stop making it um, a two-way conversation. They take the social, uh, social media. Right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Though when when bands do live Q and A's, that's way more exciting. The stuff where they just like getting the questions that come in immediately and just speaking them off. That's that's cool. That's a really I love it when they do that. But you're saying when they do, yeah, anything that like you say could have been pre-recorded, like a like a live show or something like that. It's not. It's not the same thing. You have to. I used to always say that to keep an audience and live and to get, like hit the algorithm. You have to be able to affect the outcome to want to stay and see the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I've got I've got so many questions now. I didn't realize you, you did this, but this is actually <laughs> going to be quite quite interesting because my whole thing at, at Whole Tight is I do the, the digital campaigns for our for our labels and clients. And how have you found like how have you found social media over over lockdown? Have you seen what have you seen happening in the in the space, so to speak? Um. On the plus side, I've seen like a lot of people um, experimenting with stuff that they wouldn't have done before. So I'm seeing more bands like doing um, live videos that they're turning into podcasts. And that I think is so exciting. Mm. Um, I've seen a lot more engagement. But if I'm completely honest, over lockdown, I've kind of stayed away from social a little bit because weirdly, I love doing social for other people. Mm-hmm. I hate it for myself because I can find it really toxic. Right. Um, I think that's probably quite quite common. Um, I know a few people as well that do uh, run agencies and stuff like that. And it's always that thing of uh, marketing agencies are so good at marketing other people's work and then they're crap at marketing their own business. Um, I think there is like a, yeah, there's a strange thing about that. I mean, um, yeah, but I agree. There's all those, and podcasts as well. Like funny you mentioned that because um, that just seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger as a space. Um, this feeds into a question that, um, that I had for you actually, um, which is kind of about the, the death of radio or not, as it were, like, how do you feel about it as a medium? Like, do you still love the medium and do you see it still being, um, do you see it staying around? Where do you think radio is going to be in the future? Well, to kind of relate it to what we're talking about at the moment is because we're, we're in the rock space, right? Yeah. The whole, whole time, Kerrang, whatever it might be. People are constantly saying rock is dead. Mm. But the fact is of the whole industry is you and loads of other people get a pay packet at the end of the month, thanks to rock. So there's obviously something still there. Yep. Now, taking that and taking radio on a bigger scale, the amount of listeners that radio stations have yeah it might not be what it was in the 80s but nothing is no magazine is selling the same no no album like I think Taylor Swift on her album release someone I saw someone tweeting about it it was Mark Morton or someone saying that she sold 600,000 albums like and how huge that is and that is huge but it was even bigger back in the day yeah and so I think I think in 2020 what we have a tendency to do is to say things are dead when they've actually, the business models just changed because yep. of the industry as a whole has changed. And so I feel like radio is really strong because people are still always going to, like, yes, playlists are great, Spotify playlists, but you don't, people don't listen to radio anymore just to hear music and to be introduced to new music. They listen to it because it is 
that mix between a podcast mm-hmm. and a playlist where you kind of you feel like you're with a mate chatting yeah. and so in that sense I don't think radio is dead I don't think it ever will die I think um as well that it's a it's still that filter and what the internet does if nothing else it filters things and we need that because there's just so much there's just so much of everything and uh no one's got enough time to listen to everything as well so it's it's coming to someone that they like that they trust that they know has uh good taste and listening and finding out new music there and having someone else filter through all of the all of the different artists um to find great new bands and great new songs which is also really important because if you're vouching for it and it's on the show like that's the other thing that I just can't see anything going away. Like we make so many decisions um, when we're purchasing online based on reviews and things like that. And it's no wonder that people do the same thing when it comes to their music, you know, uh, word of mouth and referrals are still massive. And I think that that, that's always an integral part to, um, to this industry and what radio offers for it as well. It's that you're vouching for it. And that's that seal of approval. Like, um, yeah, because anyone could just record music and upload it onto Spotify these days. And, and what have you, but not everyone can get on the radio, which is, yeah, why, why I agree. I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, is there anyone you're listening to right now that has got you particularly excited? There's a few artists, actually, that I'd say I'm really excited about. Now, a lot of people might say, oh, but they're not new. We've heard of them already. Um, and I feel quite strongly about I feel like the the industry, I guess there's going to be a lot of people watching this who are industry. Mm-hmm. I think as the industry, we get so quick to go, oh, I've heard of this band that nobody else has heard, that we forget to support the bands who we were supporting two weeks ago. So, right. um, A, I would say um, I'm really excited about Bad Flower because yep. I keep seeing the thing that makes me excited about them is they're a band who... I wasn't introduced to them by a plugger and I wasn't introduced by an article I read. It was by the audience of Kerrang getting in touch and saying, and saying play them, play them, play them. About this band. Yeah. And a lot of the time you get like weird dad rock bands, which is cool <laughs> sent to you. And they've got like <laughs> yeah. really intense bands. nothing wrong with a good dad rock band. No, nothing wrong with that. Um, but this was a band who were touring and doing stuff and, What gets me excited is it's not industry hype. Mm. It's literally the audience just vibing off their music so hard. Um, So then I would also say I'm really excited about Nova Twins. They're a band that I probably first played five years ago when I was at Team Rock Radio. Um, But seeing that they've been signed to Jason Alon's label and they're just getting a lot of stuff coming through. And I think they're exciting, not only because of the music they write, but because of what they represent for rock Mm -hmm. and we've not really experienced anyone like Nova Twins before that have been able, because I just think that they've got something really exciting going on for them. Right. It's going to be a very interesting one to watch over the next few years to see where these bands are are going to be. Um, That's funny you said about rock being dead because you do get it all the time. And like you know, you're right. It's definitely not. It's definitely not true. Do you think we're ever going to return to? Um, we've we described it as a circle before, where where tastes just go uh, just circular. So right now, I don't know. It feels like maybe there's just a more of a mainstream sort of love for hip hop and grime or something. But do you think that we're slowly moving back towards rock and metal being more mainstream? Or do you think now it just doesn't work that way anymore? It's just everyone. It's just it blanket. So hammering into a niche. That's a big question in the sense that it's not going to be, my answer won't be very popular. Ooh. Um, but that's always me. That's always me. I love a controversial so answer. <laughs> I think what's happened is there are too many people within the industry who still love rock, but come from the Peter Pan generation. Right. And the Peter Pan generation is you, you've got your exes and you've got your millennials. And so they don't feel like they've grown out of rock. They still feel like they're young. Yeah, I've still got long hair. I still wear baggy clothes. But actually, they've grown past rock. Mm. And yet they're trying to decide what rock is. So I think if you look at young... Rock is made for people who are rebelling in their teens and early 20s. That's 
what rock is for. And a lot of people are going to hate me for saying that. Um, and then the rest of it is dad rock. Right. So I feel like rock is having a revival, but the problem is it evolved in the same way new metal evolved and the old crowd went, no, that's not rock. That's not right. Mm. I feel like the rock crowd are now doing that about the way rock is evolving and disowning a lot of sounds. And what's going to happen is it's going to be owned by a new crowd in a way. And I think, and I think that should be something that a lot of people should be looking at in in labels, in industries, in media. Looking at what the the age of those people that are going to own it. Looking at whether, like, looking at ourselves as industry influencers, and going. Am I making decisions based, if I'm trying to target an audience who are 19, am I listening to what that 19 year old thinks is rock? Or am I trying to, am I trying to force feed them what I listened to when I was 19? Right. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we need to look at as an industry. Cause I think rock is super alive, but what's happening is a, we've got two sides of it. You've got bands who are trying to totally disown rock. And they're like, nope, yep, no, we won't play Download Festival, even though it's like, you're clearly one of our bands. Mm. But they're so busy trying to get a mainstream, um, they're trying to get into the mainstream because rock is, had become uncool, so to speak. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the other part of that with rock becoming uncool is rock needs to let itself diversify. And until we start letting in until we start diversifying the bands that we get behind, rock will stay relatively stagnant because that new, I hate talking about them in these terms, but like Gen Z's, mm-hmm. the new era of rock fans, they're not, they're not, they want diversity. They're not yeah. about that. They want to see different people, different experiences. They want to see different skin colors, different genders, different um, sexual orientations. That's, that's what they want to see. Yeah. So, very controversial view, but there we go. I don't know. I don't know if it is that controversial. Um, I think it's. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I really do. I I love festivals like Two Thousand Trees, like festivals like Two Thousand Trees, um, Arc Tangent, and uh, there's there's probably others, but those, those kind of festivals do feel like they are doing that, or or, or at least uh, are kind of making a start to it. Like the crowds there. Everyone seems to be very open-minded and very up for like listening to a like a diverse mix of music. And it does feel a little bit like I love download and like have always loved it since I first went, but since going back to it uh the last couple of years, it does feel like there's just something missing from it now. Uh, maybe it is that hard position though. Download's in a hard position. They they got so big. And to stay big, they have to try and cater to everybody. And that's when it becomes hard because you try to cater to everybody and they're just like trying to, they're just thinking we need to survive numbers, money. They're in that headspace. Whereas like a smaller festival like 2003, it's great because they get to be like more modern in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, uh, it, there used to be like the lineup on something like Download used to be just, uh, just felt it was one amazing band after another from like the start of the day right the way to the end and huge bands coming in to headline it. Um, but it feels like you get a lot more, um, a lot more turn- turnover in, in, in festivals like 2000 Trees because there's so many more bands now coming in and, and playing the circuit and stuff. But the head, it, just, it feels fresh all the time. It's just like, Constantly fresh, fresh music. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think I don't know where I'm going with that. I just think it's going to be an interesting one um, to see. I just hope that festivals like Two Thousand Trees and others like it of that size can just continue to grow and grow um, and kind of keep maintaining that kind of um, ethos, as it were. Um, so yeah, cool. I'm gonna just. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the industry itself now and how you got started in it and yeah. some of the challenges that you face working in it. Because how, how long have you been in the music industry? Probably about 10 years now. Okay, so full decade. Most, most people who, um, who meet me 
they're like, oh, Sophie, yeah, you're doing so well. Nice to meet you. And I'm like, I've known you for 10 years. <laughs> and that's cool. But I know what you're about. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, so I've been in the industry about 10 years. Um, uh, it's really hard to talk about this because it's, I don't want to sound like I'm bitter because I'm not. Like I'm so grateful of where I'm at and but I did have to graft really hard mm -hmm. to get to where I am. Um, so I started at Total Rock Radio. Um, in fact, before that, I started um, on by myself, making videos and all that kind of thing. Then I went into Total Rock Radio, which was great. Um, where was where was that based? So that was based in London. Okay. And and they're on they were and they're an online station, but they had quite a big following. Um, back 10 years ago and yeah I set up a YouTube channel for them so there's still loads of like really embarrassing interviews over the years of me like, kind of finding my feet and figuring out how because back 10 years ago like I know James Monteith who runs Hold Tight because he was one of the people who was supportive and you know open to me working in this industry and I was probably one of the only women let alone women of color that went to those types of shows, to gent shows and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, it was a really, it was a really, really interesting time because it was hard to find my feet because a lot of the women, female presenters back then, you had to be kind of this dominatrix vibe going on. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't cool with that. That's not who I am. Like sure. I wanted to be more like the blokes who were talking about music and being a bit more matey and things like that so but then I didn't want to be one of those nerdy people who's like oh so tell me about in your album in in 2000 I was just like oh my god <laughs> so I had to kind of find my voice yeah within because back then like you didn't laugh with bands back then but I was up for it like now you see people doing all sorts of challenges and all that kind of stuff and how many marshmallows can you fit in your mouth and um lists and all that but that wasn't happening then no um, way you weren't allowed to laugh with bands People didn't, people were so serious. You had a beard, you wore black. This is the days, like, you've got to remember, these are the, like, um, this is the time, 10 years, God, that makes me feel old. Um, this is the time where Black Dahlia Murder weren't taken seriously as a band because they put colours on their T-shirts. This is a time where Parkway Drive weren't taken seriously because they wore shorts and flip-flops. So they can't be metal because they've got shorts and flip-flops on. We're not going to listen to the music they're playing. Um and so it was very still quite divided. I feel like we're more open now in mm -hmm. metal. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I had to find my voice, set up a YouTube channel, did all of that. And then from that, I got into Team Rock. And I think that's when most people started to hear of me because then I was on Channel 4 and then I was on Scars and then it just grew from there. That's amazing. And, and just another quick part of that, like that takes so, it takes guts and it just takes like, I would get, if I was interviewing members of Corn, I would be very, very nervous. <laughs> I would be. And, you know, and, but you did it and you just kept doing it. And that's like, that's really, you know, that's impressive and um, not easy to do because a lot of people, like myself included, struggle to do things live sometimes, like thinking of your feet and stuff. It can, it can all be, yeah, you know, a bit overwhelming sometimes. So um, just that alone is um, a lot to do to keep up with. And, I, I love Scars. Like, I, I think my whole like, love for music kind of came from Scars. And I used to watch it every day after school. And it's how I found a lot of bands and fell in love with music, music videos. And I wish something like Scars or Scars itself still existed. I wish it was still like a, I know it, I know it does. But um, what was it like working, working there at that time? Because I don't know, they all so many good bands on there. And I loved it. Was it, was it good to work for Scars? Scars was great because. It was, so I didn't work in Scars in the early years. Trust me, I tried, but they didn't get me in back in the early days. It wasn't until I got at Team Rock. So it was probably in the last, um, probably first started in at Scars 2015. Um, and yeah, it was great fun because there's something amazing about working for a brand that has history mm. with bands. So like being able to sit down with Parkway Drive, um, it's gutting because Sony just deleted everything from scars off social so a lot of those interviews aren't around anymore and we couldn't get hold of them but like we had parkway drive talking about when they first toured the uk on a shoestring 
and they wanted to be on Scoo's TV because that's what they thought it was. <laughs> I'm not going to try and do an Aussie accent, but like it was really nice because Scuzz held history with the bands as well. So it was it was it was it, it was nice because you could see the rise of artists and it really took them on a journey. So yeah, it was it was a great place to work. It was it's it's such a shame, such a shame that channel went up. Well, it was and it was doing well. People like to say that. Oh, it went broke and all of these kind of things. It wasn't even a case of that. Like it was keeping its head above water. It was just Sony needed to cut back. So they just went snip, snip, snip with a load of channels and Scars happened to be one of them. Really? I didn't know that. I thought it was I thought it was just because not enough people are watching it anymore on TV. Mm. It's just, um, yeah, uh, I want to talk a little bit about grafting and hard work um, because I think that that's, there's a lot of um, anyone that's looking to get into, into this industry. Do you feel like if you were going to give some advice to someone that's looking to get into the industry um, and also what skills do you think are missing right now? Like if someone came to you and was like, so what could I do to help you? Like what is a skill that would be of the most value to you? Um, to help me with a skill? Yeah. To help you, to help you do your job or to, to where, something that's missing. I think, um, I think for for the for being, I think one of the biggest problems at the moment is young people who are coming up wanting to be presenters. They've grown up in that um, YouTube world, mm-hmm. where and then Twitter, then Instagram, blah 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 blah. They've grown up in this world where you just go, "Hi guys," and they just start this channel and boom, hit. That sounded boom. that sounded great. That sounded like literally every single YouTube video I've ever watched. <laughs> Right. And they have this thing where it's just like, boom, I'm a celebrity. And boom, I said something awkwardly racist and now I'm cancelled. And it's like, boom, boom, job, taken away, all this kind of stuff. And I would say one of the greatest skills is patience and determination because most people will give up. I should have given up. Like when I when I started Total Rock, there were so many other DJs working alongside me. But it was that determination because this is what I wanted. I didn't, and I think most people who try and get into my career want fame. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't, I don't want fame. If I did, I would be better at putting pictures on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, it was more about, um, I wanted to be like a journalist, but I haven't got the attention span to be able to sit down and write an article. It's just not my bag. Right. I'm better at talking. Yeah. And so I guess the greatest skills is A, patience, and also people try and set themselves too wide a goal, I feel. Like they go, yeah, and I'm talking to you as someone who's done social media video, da, 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 da. but don't get it twisted. When I started, I wanted to be a, a presenter. That was my dream. There right. was, and everything else I did whether it be, I did the social media company to earn money to support me through presenting. I did, I did videography because I couldn't get anybody who liked metal and knew how to use a pro camera to film interviews for me. Mm. So I, everything I did was to support my presenting. Um, so to answer your question in, in what's missing is I'd say determination and patience. And pick it up and, and having a clear idea of something that you want as well. So being the presenter was like your, your goal. Um, and it's having that, it's just having the, the one thing very clear in, in one's mind of exactly what you want. And, and like you say, other things come along with it to go with it. So picking up skills as a videographer and learning to edit and then learning how to use social media and all these other kinds of things come with it too, but it's all working towards your, your other goal. Um, Definitely. Um, I want to talk about racism a little bit here because it's not something that's come up on the show before, but is it something that you have faced in the, in the music industry? You did a tweet recently about someone made a racist remark while you were out in the shops, local shops or something like that. And I mean, it's just, yeah. And, and you said it shook you. So I just wanted to kind of ask you about that and, and how is it, What's it like in the music industry for, for that kind of thing? 
Um, I mean, yes, there's racism in the music industry. I mean, it would be so naive of people to think that there isn't because at the end of the day, we live in a society that is racist every day. Mm. And a lot of people say to me, I never, you never see, I never see racism. And I'm like, of course you don't see racism, you're white. Why would you see racism? Mm. Um, and yeah, it's definitely there in, in metal. For me personally, it's got worse. But I think that has something to do with the fact that when I first started presenting in rock, um, people were just so shocked to see a woman. They didn't even see my colour. They were so busy going, oh, my God, she's got boobs. And she is talking about, she's talking to Viljata. I hope I've said that right. Um, or she's talking about Genghis Tron, Board Up the House being her favourite album. And they're like, how the hell does this woman know so much about that or Slayer or whatever, that they were just like, wow, she's amazing. But now because there are more women and we're seeing a little bit more people and because of what's going on in America has a lot to do with it and in the UK as well. If I post a video, did a video recently with Slipknot and people might have felt like it wasn't that racist because they were like, they were saying things that, they weren't KKK racist. Do you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. So people think that they're not racist because, you know, my mate Dave, Black Dave down the pub, mm. he's, he's one of my best mates. I'm not I'm fucking not racist, racist. but, yeah. And, but when you look through the comments, the comments clearly show that all people, people were either going, great interview, mm-hmm. or absolutely tearing me apart for nothing I'd said, but just the way I look. Just for how you look. And so when people say there isn't racism in rock, what happens then, the way I see that is, as imagine you're me, but 15. Mm. And you click on my interview and you go, oh my God, she looks like me. Maybe I can belong in rock. But yep. then you, you look at those comments and you go, nope. no, I'm too scared. I don't, yep. I don't belong in that world. And it's, mm. it's the same. I spoke to someone recently who's trying to come up in, in the rock world. And he said that he would never go to, and I won't name the festival, but he said he's never going to go again because the press area, he was given such daggers and such evil looks. Mm. And the reason when I say things like, oh, I'm going to say things controversial or I laugh when you're like, how long have you been in this industry? It's because I went through all of that through this. It's really hard to describe, but because people, people want to know a gritty story, but sometimes it's not like, oh, I was pinned up against the wall and called the N word. Sometimes it's just a case of, I, I never got to make friends on MySpace. So a lot of the people that you see coming up through the rock world, they all started building their communities on MySpace as kids and they all got to know each other in the scene. I wasn't, people wouldn't talk to me. I used to go into a bar called The Intrepid Fox um, in London and they wouldn't serve me. I went to the Devonshire Arms, they wouldn't let me in. And and I'm stood there in a sugar t-shirt, you know, going, but I'm a rock fan. And they're like, nah, they just wouldn't let you in? They wouldn't let me in. When was and this? What year was this? This was probably, this is the early 2010s. And so, but that sticks with you. And so when I'm, when I'm walking through a press room now and I see everyone going, hey, Sophie, 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 I don't take for granted how hard and how painful it was to come up through that. And let's not even talk about dating because dating's hard because, again, I was... I'd, there's no way I can date a normie because I've ruined myself. I'm covered in Paul Booth tattoos. Tattoo. Like the most evil tattoo artist in the world. <laughs> so I can't date just a normal person because um, a lot of the time because they judge tattoos. We all know that. But then on the same other hand, when it comes to, when you describe, if, you, if I said to you, right, picture a metal chick, picture mm-hmm. a rock chick. She's normally quite small. She's white. She's maybe got dark hair, probably super skinny. Um, 
or maybe bigger, but with a corset. Like there's certain stereotypes, but never does that stereotype of someone with darker skin come in. So it means that you're not aspirational. And so I didn't have many confrontational, aggressive, racist experiences, but I was always an outsider in the scene until I, until I did get to somewhere. And so that makes, that influences massively what I do now. Now I'm not as outspoken as some people. I'm not on Instagram going this, that race, this, because I'm having to deal with it in day-to-day conversations. I'm I'm always the brown person at meetings. So I'm always the person that goes, yeah, but have you thought of this? Yeah, but what about this? Or that's not okay to say. We shouldn't be playing that. And yeah, so anyway, roundabout question. Yes, within music, um, I've experienced a lot of racism, a lot of feeling like the outsider. And it's really important to me that I help open space to let more people in. If that's the last thing, if my career ends tomorrow, that's something I'll be proud that I did. So that's, so your message to someone who is like yourself um, starting out in, in their career and they read those comments and they're, and they are, t- and they're, they're afraid, like straight up just scared of, of doing that. Do you, is your message to them, don't be afraid, just do it? No, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Run away. Because I think part of what I went, part of what I experienced going through rock and the reason I am here today and the reason I persevered was probably actually, actually from naivety. Right. So because I grew up in Huddersfield, I was from an all-white school, people people saying, oh, I don't like black people, but you're different, was the norm to mm. me. So because of being treated like an outsider had become the norm, it's only now when I look back that I'm like, that wasn't right. Mm. That wasn't right. And so I would say to people, um, take your own path, find your own story. If you enjoy the music, but don't feel comfortable at festivals, you do you, do what you've got to do. But if you're like me and, or want to be like me, just if people won't open doors for you, just fucking find another door, try and bang it down. If that door doesn't open, just try and find another one. I was like, a, I was like a, when a fly gets trapped behind the window, that's just yeah. me. Persistence. Yeah. And it paid off. Good. Uh, it certainly did. Um, I think, yeah, everything you've achieved is uh, fantastic. Where would you like to? Where would you like to go next? What do you have your sights on next, and what what are your future goals? Do you know what? I never really know at the time because I'm so busy focusing on what I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm in talks, obviously, with different radio stations about different areas within radio. Um, I'm in talk about a few podcasts. I think. I think the place I'd like to go is just more presenting, more presenting within rock, because that's my happy place. Presenting, yeah. Do you enjoy doing interviews and, and stuff as well? Oh, interviews are my favourite part. Right. Interviews are so. my favourite part. And it's, I think it, it's always lovely when you see people like, so many bands, Sam Carter tweeted it recently from Architects, just saying that my interview was the best, one of the best interviews that they've ever had in their entire career. I'm just like, oh, that's amazing. Well, that's amazing. What did you ask them? Do you know what? So I'll tell you my interview, my technique. Yeah, yeah, please, yeah. I'll just turn it, turn it, turn the show off now. This is just just for me. This, yeah. People panic. Producers panic when I come on. Everyone panics because I don't have any questions. <sighs> and people go, "What do you mean you don't have any questions?" And I'll send like, and so for example, when I spoke to Judas Priest, um, or even when I spoke to Sam from Architects. I'm not going to start going, so tell me more about the death or the sickness. I'm not going to go there because mm. that's not, you wouldn't do that with a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So it's, it's really out of order to do, to do that to a person. So yeah. like, and I saw someone do that with Judas Priest, with Richie, and it was, he burst into tears and it was 
awful. And I could see the journalist going, whoa, there's my exclusive. Whoa. And he had like a 10 minute interview with him. And I somehow managed to have a an hour's interview with Scars. And by the end of it, everyone was laughing and, and hugging me. Um, and for me, it's, I remember talking to, to Rob and I, I said, well, you know, that's because you're an icon. How do you feel about being called an icon? It must be an interesting word. If he wants to then start talking about other things related to that, if he then wants to start, and I'll, I'll hint at something, say his sobriety or um, his, like being one of the first, the first gay icon, yeah. um, um, one of the first gay icons in metal. But if he doesn't want to talk about that, he doesn't want to talk about it. You must get asked it all the time. You must get asked it all the time. And so the thing is, is if someone brings it up, they're more likely to give you the ex- exclusive because it was their idea. Yeah. And they feel so comfortable because you're not pushing them. Yeah. And so my thing is always, I'll, I'll know where I want to go. Okay. But I very quickly pick up if someone doesn't want to go there. That's, that's something you can't teach. That's like... Uh... That's that comes with a high degree of empathy as well, and just sort of kind of sensing the other person. But yeah, that's the thing. Most narcissists are attract attracted to this industry. Yeah, and I'm more of an empath, so it sucks a little bit. It's why I'm bad at Instagram, but good at interviews. Uh, yeah, um, I, I I already know what I think is that it's a more valuable skill. But um, I was going to ask, like, how do you do that when because you might do you ever like after an interview you think oh, I wish I'd asked that so if you hadn't like written it down in the first place to remember to ask it. It's like, ah, oh, it's too late. So, but you, what, you're just really good at just thinking on the spot and just kind of going with the flow of it. So I'll normally I'll just research like points about the band. And keep them in your head. Where and, keep them, and I'll do it like literally the two hours before the interview. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if it's a big interview, it will be, I'll just be two hours just going in hard. I'll watch. What I'll do is like, so for example, with Sam Carter, I watched all these old interviews in which where as soon as he gets bored in an interview he starts tapping no way he picks I, up on something like that a detail so yeah, like that and i was like oh maybe he must be i did because i didn't know originally but i was like he must have been a drummer because you can tell by the way he was tapping yeah. and all of that kind of stuff so what i'll do is i'll watch people and watch how they react to interviewers when they lit up when they didn't light up and mm. so then i'll be able to form where i'm going with things <sighs> Man, that attention to details, very, very cool. And I guess that, yeah, um, who has been one of the, there's, there's an Alexa in the other room and it's just picked up on my voice. So it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just said, I didn't hear that. Would you repeat it? Like, <laughs> Play Sam Carter interviews. Um, no, I was just, I was going to say, who is your favourite interview, the person you've like enjoyed meeting and interviewing the most? They say my, don't meet your heroes, so. My favourite interview and I would say more because it was it, it wasn't the best interview I've done, I don't think. I think I've done better interviews, but it was a monumental moment in my career. Is probably around 2013, Sonosphere, 2012-13, when I interviewed Corey Taylor. Mm. And it was just after Paul Gray had died. Mm. And again, it was that thing again. It was also just after my mum had died. So I felt this kind of affinity with knowing what it, is to go through that level of grief of someone so yeah. close to you and everyone else was going in i remember nme i can call them out now they had this like big exclusive is slip not over blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and they'd obviously just gone in there and grilled Corey, and his mate had just died yeah. um and i went in i was so nervous because i was such a big Slipknot fan and that was always my goal when i started doing these videos is one day i want to interview Corey taylor from slipknot cmft that was my, so I was like, I was literally like this when I went in and I'd done again, the loads of research and he, I walked in and he was like, yeah, here we go. Come on. Right. And he was not happy because he just had it in yeah. the year for ages. And so I sat down and I, this is at a time where people didn't ask questions like this so much. And I went, Corey, would you say DC or Marvel? And he literally, he squealed never heard a sound like he just came to life and he just it, he just turned like this and he was so excited he was like blah, 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 blah. and then I asked him about I remember I brought these fake mustaches and I was like, like uh, in a Christmas cap cracker or something 
because yeah, I, I said I said to him, I was like, so what I was trying to do was get his to try and like surprise him. So I would say things like, "Tell me about the future of," and you could see his face drop, mm. and I go, "Your hair, Corey," because sometimes you grow it long, sometimes you got mustache, <laughs> and you'd see him just like the relief on his face. And yeah. so we had these fake mustaches on, and we were pulling silly faces for the camera. And that, and I remember trying to get this moustache off the bloody piece of paper. And I was holding it together here, but my hand was like this with this piece of paper. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. peel off the moustache. But um, yeah, I think that was my favourite because it meant so much to me and it signified so much to me. And it was amazing meeting Corey Taylor and knowing that he's a cool dude. Mm. Yeah, I bet. He's, yeah. Oh, I love that story. We, we, is that interview on uh, on YouTube? Can we watch it? Yeah, I probably shouldn't have referred to it, should I? Um, yeah. I, I can't wait. I'm going to watch that. It's on, so back in Sonosphere TV days, and I did loads of embarrassing interviews. That's the thing about doing interviews is like, you've got to, this is why I, I always say to people when they're like, I want to be a presenter, I want to do this. And I'm like, you're too young mm. without being harsh. I know you can do it and you think you can do it, but you're too young because mm. as soon as you get put in a, bat, in a room with a band, and I saw it happen recently with um, a and a very well-known DJ interviewing a band, and they just sh- they will shoot you down. The band so you will have, to have a sense of what's the word? Cynicism and arrogance. The the the, the cynicism that promotes arrogance mm-hmm. um, to deal with bands because they'll eat you alive. If they, oh my god, they will, and they smell you. They're like sharks. So if you're new to the whole thing they can tell (laughs) and they are a lot of them they're bored they've been doing press all day they've been answering the same questions all day to get someone really noob who they can catch out Mm. is a fun game and I've been that person and I've had to think on my feet and I've said something stupid and I've had to deal with it and all of those experiences teach you so much yeah Oh man, yeah. If you want to be a presenter, start. Start practicing. Start presenting and interviewing your, your nan. Yeah, and say dumb stuff. Oh my God, I've done so much dumb stuff. Like things that I thought were hilarious at the time. Mm-hmm. I think back now and I'm like, oh, that's so embarrassing. Wow, this is really refreshing to hear. I, I, I feel like I'm not as, you know, I haven't been doing it this long, but I feel like I've done a lot of those, made a lot of those kind of quote unquote mistakes. Um, and and still do all the time, but it's like, it's like you said, it's just part of that process. And what I'm definitely not afraid of doing is just doing it. So I just it's way output imperfection trumps perfection any day. It's just all that kind of stuff. I think is that's the point. So just do it, folks. Take service advice and just if you're interested in presenting and 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 doing this, not easy. So get practicing. Um, you learn you learn things over time. You'll learn your own failings. So my mm. failing is that I get so in the moment, mm. I really struggle to take on new information, mm-hmm. which includes artists' names when they've just introduced themselves to me. Mm. So I've been in so many situations where I'm like, hi, I'm Sophie, and I'm stood here with... And I've done it so many times. So now yeah. I've you learn things like, for example... The band have introduced themselves to you at a festival. You have no clue who they are because I don't remember everyone's names. Like I'm not that much of a nerd. So I'll just go, hi guys, could you just introduce yourself? Say you're watching Skulls TV, just introduce yourself to the camera. I know I'm not going to use that, but I just need them to repeat their names because I fucking forgot them. Yeah, great tip. Great. Would you ever, would you ever say something like, um, guys, I'm not going to rem- remember your name. So I'm going to refer to you as A, B, C, and D. Oh God. <laughs> Worst thing you can do. I've also learned the mistake that if you say I'm stood here with insert band here, I'm stood here with Slipknot, mm. that's also offensive. A lot, not all bands take offense, but some do. Some bands would take offense to you referring to I'm here with the band. Yeah, you have to say their names. So no, no way. So it can, you can say Slipknot, but you have to make sure you're referring to their names individually during the interview. So right. You have to go, so Pete, what James, and you have to show that you know them as individuals. You have to make sure that you're not just talking to the singer 
or if the singer's talking too much, make sure you direct your question at the drummer because the drummer is the worst one. They'll start looking away and tapping. They get bored yep. and they're just doing this. They're looking in the opposite direction. You've lost them because the singer's on one. Yeah. All the attention. Yeah. Yeah, all those kind of things. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. I'm thinking about like interviews that um, my band's done. I'm like, yeah, the drummer is easily, easily the one with the shortest attention span. First time and never, ever sit in the middle of a band. That's the biggest mistake people make. Oh, yeah. Oh. What, like looking from side to side. Like, Just all you need to do, right, if you're a presenter and you're trying to find out about that, search Grace Jones slaps presenter. <laughs> and it's, it's because when you're dealing with egos let's call them what they are massive egos you cannot turn your back on an ego you cannot do that and i see it all the time i'm a download and i'm like that interview's gonna go shit oh that's gonna go bad don't turn your back on the ego you can't because they will just because then you've lost them and they don't like you then and then they're gonna try and catch you out mm. Oh, I love it. That's some serious good advice. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Sophie. Like, this has been wicked. Uh, I've, loved, I've loved speaking with you today. Uh, I'd very much like to have you back on the show um, in the future. Things move so crazily fast these days that who knows where, where we'll be in six months or so. But if you're up for it, I'd love to have you back on. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Thank you for uh, giving me your time today. And folks, go and, go and support Sophie. Go and listen to the Kerrang! Um, morning show and um, thank you for watching and we'll see you on the next episode thanks very much bye hi you've been listening to coffee or beer on hold tight tv brought to you on behalf of hold tight if you are in a band or you know people in bands and they need pr they need radio they need digital marketing then hold tight is your number one stop shop for that so please subscribe to the channel follow us on all the socials and please get in touch if you need any of those services and we'll catch you on the next episode thank you for listening to coffee or beer